Box Crusade presents monthly Monday movie muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I love movies. I've got this amazing collection of movies, and I'm really surprised whenever I find somebody, an old friend who hasn't seen something that I consider to be a classic, a wonderful movie. So I take that person, drag them all the way to the wonderful Longbox Crusade headquarters, stick them in the attic, and tell them what movie I want them to watch. And this time, I've got a, a pretty old friend, guy I've known for many, many years, mostly because he's married to somebody I've known like forever. But that's beside the point. I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Rob Earhart. Rob, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, yeah, it has been nice to know you. Guilt by association kind of situation. Hey, started off that you were afraid of me, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I still have nightmares about that, 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 that first night. Two hands, Rob. Two hands. Two hands. Two hands on that drink, boy. Two hands on that drink. Yes, yes, yes. We aren't going to go into talking too much about those memories because this is kind of a family-friendly network, but um, I will move the conversation on to talk about your love of movies. I, I know you like movies. I know that you are very interested in movies, and I know this because, well, it's not a movie, but I know that you are in something that could be considered a cinematic release of some sort. Uh, if you're talking about the now you're trying now you're trying to remember. Well, yeah. Are you referring to the Society for Creative Anachronism and Medieval Reenactment? No, I'm actually not. No, I'm talking. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> there oh. you go. I'm talking about an evening with Kevin Smith, and you were somebody ah. who asked Kevin Smith a question when he visited the University of Wyoming when he was doing his tour of talks way back in the '90s. That is true. That, that was back in 2002, right when Jane Silent Bob came out. And, was that uh, 2002? 2001, 2002 is right at the end of our college. Wow. Okay, I, th I thought it was back in the 90s, and I missed that by a little bit. No, 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 but you're absolutely right. I'd forgotten about that. That's my 15 minutes of fame, uh, being uh, <laughs> getting a chance to meet one of my heroes and being insulted by Jason Muse on DVD. Hey, so, hey, it surprised me. I was watching that DVD with my friends at, at our house, and I'm like, hey, hang on. I know that guy. I know that guy. <laughs> I think I was at his wedding. <laughs> I, I have that scene bookmarked on YouTube, so I can always go back and reference that video if I need to. <laughs> hey, it's always good to have some claim to fame in your life. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, it's more infamous, I think. But <laughs> Besides that, though, you enjoy watching a good movie, right? I am a huge cinephile. Good. Absolutely. I, we have a huge video collection, all different genres. I can enjoy the dumbest kid stuff all the way to the most cerebral films. You know, uh, what is it? Tur tur turkey Run or, or the, the dang Thanksgiving movie uh, about time traveling turkeys all the way to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You know, huge range. Uh, and, and I just love following different directors or writers or, or, or actors I really enjoy. So, yeah, I'm a huge cinephile. Well, good. I, I think that the movie that I chose for you then is, is going to fit somewhere in the midst of that range. I think it can hit a whole lot of different genres and elevate itself a little bit further than a lot of people expected. Are you interested in finding out what movie I would like you to watch, though? 
I am on the edge of my seat. Excellent. I would like you to watch Mad Max Fury Road, the Australian post-apocalyptic action film that was co-written, co-produced, and directed by George Miller. Why haven't you seen this film yet? I have no idea. It's been on my list since it came out. The first trailer, the color and the spectacle just blew me away. And it's never just made it onto the TV. I was never able to go to the theater and watch it. And, and you know, because it has been so well received, it's, it's part of the cultural zeitgeist now. And I've picked up uh, breadcrumbs of information about it. Uh, some of the behind the scenes, yo, some, some of the filmmaking techniques used and that kind of stuff. But, but actual sitting down and watching it scene by scene and story for story. No, I, hmm. So this will definitely be an eye opener. So overall, though, what do you know about the film? It sounds like you've seen some behind the scenes things, but do you know? Yeah, uh, basically, um, Tom Hardy yeah. plays Mad Max now, and he's still in a post-apocalyptic world, and he he is captured by this cult of chrome-faced <laughs> people, and he meets Charlize Theron. What's her name? Furiosa. Furiosa, and she. And he team up and race across the desert, being chased by flame throwing guitar playing cars, and that basically what they show in the trailer is kind of the limit. Yeah, that that sounds about right. I think you've got it pretty much in a nutshell there. It's it's it pretty much is exactly what you see on the tin. But there is some elements to this film that really elevate it beyond just that. I'm not going to talk to you about them now, though, because that would spoil the fun of you actually sitting out and watch it. And the only way that you can do that is if I let you go from this conversation so you can go to your local movie store, socially distanced, wearing a mask, of course. and see if you can rent Mad Max Fury Road from 2015. While you're doing that, we're going to listen to the trailer for it and be back shortly. In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. A man reduced to a single instinct. Survive. We are not things. We are not things. Where is she taking them? I want them back. They're my property. Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! Wanna get through this? Let's go! Hard to know who was more crazy. 
everyone else. And we are back. I hope you all enjoyed that trailer from 2015's Mad Max Fury Road. Before we get started and we ask Rob about what he thought of the movie, let's just do a quick synopsis of the film for those of you that haven't had the chance to sit down with this masterpiece. The world has become a lawless wasteland. Water, fuel, and power are the only things that allow you to survive. Hope has been replaced by madness and despair. Mad Max, the hero from the first three films of this franchise, is captured by the War Boys and is used as a living blood bank because of his universal donor blood. At the same time, Immortan Joe, the leader of the War Boys, is sending out his most trusted general, Imperiorator Furiosa, to bring back fuel and ammo. Furiosa betrays Joe, sneaking out his treasured women, and the race is on. Max, eventually able to escape and capture Furiosa's war rig, is eventually convinced to help the women flee to a mythical promised land while fighting off the hordes of desperate people attempting to stop them. So, Rob, what did you think about this adrenaline rush? <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. Like, like I said, from the trailer, you can see just it's massive road race with explosions and, and oversaturation of color, just the, the spectacle of it. And so getting into it, I was really surprised that two minutes into the movie, they take away the car. One of Mad Max's mm -hmm. most iconic, you know, symbols is is that car, and and boom, it's gone. He's no longer the road warrior. Yep. He they 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 upset that status quo. So I thought that was really cool. And then it just goes from there, where you're exploring what important Joe is doing and the world that he's built there, and and, and the cult like scenario that he's built with 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 the people on the ground and the people in the cliff and 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 this is going across a desert it really kind of engaged me trying to understand what was going on this was all going to lead to and culminate and and the excitement escalated the stakes in the story escalated and yeah it, i i was hooked and i wanted to see where it was gonna go so i take it that you were quite engaged with it you really got that adrenaline rush as it started right i did uh, and honestly, one of the things that really got to me was the creativity in the rig and car design. You know, you have all these post-apocalyptic vehicles storming down the road, but they're a mismatch of other vehicles. You've got a, a what is it? A, a Volkswagen bug strapped to the back of the tanker. You've got cars pursuing with with spikes all over them and, and the big bungee poles and everything that people were using again just the <laughs> design of of this mismatch that that was actually really really cool and then how those designs were used in the pursuit of the vehicle or or the war uh that was that was, was being engaged wow so i take it that it just really did meet all of your expectations i was entertained i was intrigued it was good <laughs> characters yeah you know those <laughs> it, it checked those boxes. Absolutely. Is it one I want to own now that I am drawn to the video store to to buy? I don't know. It's definitely worth repeat watching. I will say that. Well, let's get into it. Let's let's 
tear apart some of the pieces of this film so we can kind of figure out what's happening with it. Because like you said, I, I thought it was very interesting. You don't know what's going on with this world. You are literally dropped into it. You start off this, the first scene with Max outside of his car. He's kind of taking a break. He's talking about how crazy he's become. He hears people approaching and then the, the race is on. He's quickly captured and he's thrown into this insane world and you don't know what's happening you you see him being tattooed he's escapes he's trying to run away from this place he gets captured again and then the sh- scene shifts and all of a sudden he's not the main character anymore so first time viewing how long did it take you to really kind of find your foothold and start grasping onto things and putting them together i would say not too long a second viewing did help when it came to understanding the the war boys and the the cliff dwelling lifestyle that that they've got set up there and and the relationship with the poor people down below um and and again furiosa's role you know as as one of the top generals and that kind of stuff that was uh i didn't expect that i know she was i guess a freedom fighter or whatever from the from the trailers but but her switch was really interesting to see and how that was orchestrated. And then, you know, when, and, and toward the end of the movie, when she met her goals tribe that ended poorly. And, and so again, again, yeah, you kind of hit a climax of the film or, or where you thought you were going to end. And then, uh Oh, you gotta, gotta change your plans. Well, let's talk about the, the main characters here because Mad Max is, Strangely enough, a supporting character in a movie with his own title in it, because I think an argument can be made that Furiosa is the main star. So let's talk about her. You said that from the trailers, your vision of her was uh, some kind of freedom fighter. But then the movie starts off by introducing her as top general, trusted general, do no wrong. She's in charge of this convoy. People listen to her. Looks like she's got Joe's respect and honor. So what did you think about her? Absolutely. The capableness, her, her capability and know-how, uh, the discipline, and then the respect that the, the other war boys show, that was, that was interesting. And again, even when she diverted from the planned mission, they were like, okay, she's in charge. Boom, we're going this way now. And it, it, was, it was really cool. But again, a lot of this movie is visual, not dialogue no one's monologuing mm-hmm. or 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 giving so much backstory in conversation you have because you do have to pay attention you do have to pick up on the subtle cues and hints to relationships and then when they finally beat off the pursuers and she's there with the brides and even later on in the movie when she meets up with the many mothers the few many mothers and I don't know. It was just it was just interesting to be able to empathize with her who who seems to have such a rough, stern exterior, mm-hmm. who isn't very outspoken, who is, you know, that stoic. A lot of people in this movie are stoics. I think the most. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much so. No, she's got an interesting role because she, she she is the one. She's the general. She's in charge of this. She's very much trusted. But then you quickly find out that she's she's got her own plans. She's doing her own thing. She's sneaking these women away. So that's intriguing. And you start to really realize that she is smart, resourceful, like you said. She's capable. She has the knowledge to fix, modify, correct her own machine. So she's mechanically inept or uh, inept too. She's dynamite with weapons. She's a fighter. Uh, she's got her own internal strengths. Big chops to uh, big 
applause to Charlie Theron for just knocking it out of the park with this character. Because like you said, we take all that in just from her actions and very little from her words. Yeah. And honestly, that's the kind of movie I like. I don't mind be having things explained to me in, in world building, but it's always more satisfying to, to see it, to, to discover that for yourself. All of the Mad Max movies seem to do this in one way or the other. Probably the exception is uh, the third movie where it gets into very, very much talky talky and it's a little annoying sometimes, but for the most part, the Mad Max movies are very scant with information. You just have to kind of piece the things together and just figure out what's the technology level of this world, what's the social structure of this world, how do people barter, how do people con- converse, uh, converse back and forth, and and you you just are, you don't know what's happening. You just, you're in the scene. It's very much, here's the start, here's the end, what happened before, what happened after. I don't know, does it really matter? We're here now, we're just trying to survive. It's a survival movie. It's so funny how you, you just mentioned the technology of the world, because that was one of the things that I stuck on the most. Because you have people that have created a whole complex inside a cliff with vaults and all this other stuff. But at the same time, they're using manual labor for all their pulley and lift systems. And they have another city that somehow is able to manufacture weapons and and ammo. You have another city that is able to process fuel. And again, where is the fuel coming from? Where are the, you know, they, they have the ability to, to uh, modify vehicles, but they still don't have normal electricity. I, I guess you get, it was, it was, there was so much there, right. but there was also obvious stuff that was missing. So it was a weird amalgamation of what you think there should be. Well, it, I mean, you're looking at a society that has completely collapsed and these are the dregs of that society that are trying to rebuild something. And so you have, and a little bit of backstory from what I've been able to read and put together too, is you've got this empire that's controlled by a Morton Joe. And him and some of his generals, when they went out into the wasteland, they found these places. And they found a place that, that had oil in it. And they were and there was an old, an old refinery. So, hey, we've got a place that we can manufacture fuel. We'll protect that. Hey, look, we found another place that has water. Well, we're going to take that, control it, and we're going to build onto that. The two places are separate. We have to do manual labor at the one because we don't want to waste this heavy commodity of oil. I'm not sure about the entire story behind the backstory behind the bullet farm, but I my guess would be is that it's a mining operation and that's where they can mine the components that they need to create, you know, ammunition for the weapons. So you have these disparate locations that are controlled, you know, like we can't combine them, we can't protect all this land, but we can protect these individual areas. And so we're going to do that and then we're going to have our own empire just have these little convoys that go and get the right stuff from, and make sure that, you know, things go around and we can protect our areas. And that's the lands that we live in. That's kind of the joy that George Miller has created with this entire Mad Max mythos is the destruction of, of all civilization and what's rebuilt from the dregs that's left of it. Right. What did you think about Mad Max himself? I mean, let's talk about one of the two main characters of this film, Mad Max. What do you know about him? What I mean, what do you think about him? Historically, you know, I think I saw Thunderdome and and maybe the Road Warrior years and years ago. I actually haven't seen him in my adult life. I just don't I haven't gotten around to it. So so I knew kind of who he was and what his 
purpose and 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 things were but this this def especially with a new actor in the role this was his own thing and mm-hmm. i i liked him i didn't you know i i saw him as a he was the first person on screen he's the protagonist of the film mm-hmm. and the situations that he was thrust into create already created some empathy for his character i found it funny that he was very concerned with his car you know, we lost the car and then he saw them working on it in inside the, the cliff. And then when it was pursuit being used to pursue him and the rig, it was like, that's mine. You know, first you took my car and I taking my blood. And that was so he was definitely focused on what he wanted, what he had left in this world. And there's there's two things, the flashbacks throughout the film, again, without knowing the details of the mm. historical context, the flashbacks were a little confusing with all the people that he'd died and, and let down mm. or whatever the case was. But at, he did say that hope is a mistake and trying to fix what's broken will drive you insane. And from someone mm. that has gone through so much hardship in their life, I can see how he would have that mindset. But that quickly turns around when he discovers, when he sees the opportunity that they can actually fulfill their mission, that they can take down the bad guy and, 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 and try and recreate a world. So it's, it's interesting how, how that, that, that perspective flips so suddenly with just a little bit of, you know, introspection or ghost people or whatever the heck was going on with them. I had the opportunity to not only rewatch Fury Road, but I sat down and I watched all three of the first, the, the the first three Mad Max movies. And like you, it has been a long time since I had seen them. So it was kind of a revisit, like, what's this all about again? Uh, I will say for me, the first film is, whew, it's a hard slog to get through. But it introduces this character, Mad Max. You see that his wife and son are murdered by a band of, a, a band of bad guys, a band of road bandits. And that causes him to, you know, he's a policeman and that causes him to kind of, I'm now going to take the law in my own hands. And he goes out and he hunts these people down. And he kills them. And that starts it. So you see him like lose everything in that first film. The second film is him on the road. And he is just a restless Ronin at this point. He's just going down the road. He's living to find food, to find uh, oil, to find water. That's the only thing he does. He doesn't care about people. He cares about himself. But he finds himself in a situation where in order to get what he wants, he has to help people. He helps them, gets what he wants, and then he's kind of forced, much like this movie, into doing more than he bargained for. And the third movie kind of has a lot of that same themes as well. So the character of Mad Max is almost not that important in these movies. He's the protagonist, but he's not a truly deep character. He is, for all intents and purposes, the Punisher. He's Frank Castle. <laughs> he's, he's, he's somebody who has seen things done wrong, and he is now taking up arms against a lawless land that being said he's always good and that's part of it as well he's got his own terrors and traumas in his background and his initial instinct is to just be for himself but he his feet are put to the fire he will always choose the right path that's about the only thing you can say Mm. about mad about Mm. max so once again he's put in a situation where I'm on my own I have given up on entire life I don't care about humanity and then he's remembered you are part of humanity and you should like this and you, you need to help us out. You need to do good things. And so he's reminded of that, but you go to the end of the film, they are successful and he's like, Audi, I'm done. Yes. I agree. 100%. That ending was so old, old school Western. 
I mean, that was like mm-hmm. right out of Shane. The the hero comes yeah. in, he helps save the town, and then he rides off in the sunset with without uh, um, accolades. He's not part of it. That's not what he's here for. He doesn't want to be part of civilization anymore. He doesn't like remembering that. Things end badly when he's part of that, so he doesn't want to be part of it. He'll help them get there if he's pushed, but then after that, nope. Don't want to be part of it. And that is true from the movie, the other movies that you've got is he does the same thing. He walks away from those societies that are succeeding. He is going to be on their, on his own still. He wants to be left alone. He wants to be the lonely warrior down the road. It's interesting. That was, um, I really enjoyed that ending. Yeah. You just, the, the, the crowds, the spectacle, the, the paradigm shift. And he's there and the crowd just walks away and Furios is watching them and roll credits. That was, that was great. Any good, strong action movie is only going to be as good as its antagonist. So let's talk about Immortan Joe and the War mm-hmm. Boys. What did you think about them as as the bad guys in this film? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 one of my reactions after after thinking about this was was Immortan Joe. You know, has this cult like following. He's very charismatic leader. And he's got all these followers, but in all actuality, he's weak, frail, yo, past his prime. The only power he has is over his followers' minds, uh, not mm-hmm. physical power, uh, just the control that, that you know, he has. And you could definitely look at that from a he- current political mindset, you know, someone who's weak and frail. But but has the influence over people's minds. But at the same time, that's that's the true for any charismatic cult leader and follower. Mm-hmm. And and how all these people down below at the base of the cliff are at his mercy, cry for the water and that kind of stuff. And he's like, I am your redeemer. OK, well, you're not mm-hmm. doing too well if all you're doing is giving me a little bit of water now and again. Yeah. But again, you've got the war boys and the other folks there on the cliff that hold him in such high regard and that that devotion to to dying the right way and to being in his favor. Mm-hmm. I think Nuck actually he he tells Nuck that I will send you to Valhalla like Nuck's Nuck's doing such mm-hmm. a good job. Joe is actually going to kill him to honor him. I was like, oh, that, that's so, yeah. wow, what a wild mindset. Yeah, and and that's part of the you know, the brainwashing, the belief system. You're born, you're bred into it. This is what you hear over and over and over and over and over. This is what you believe in until you are shown that character was. You know what? You're wrong. What you've been told is lies. What you've been told is something that's not quite mm-hmm. right. And that, you know, death is death. We're trying to live. We're trying to find something better. And you are, I mean... The emperor has no clothes. You're right about Joe as well. He's got this visage of power and fear, and you know, even he's his, he's got this breastplate with all these medals, and it's the, it's, the medals. I love that. It, that was great. But, but I mean, it's it's basically being sealed onto him to make him look stronger than he is. He's wearing this terrifying mask that is helping him breathe. He can still drive a car like nobody's business, but. He's he doesn't have his eye on the ball. He's going after his women, and he is like one of his uh, you know second generals says, "You are wasting resources for what? Why are you doing this? Just let them go. Who cares? You know you can hold on to your power, or you're going to be chasing this dream. You're losing your power by chasing this one thing." Hmm. Yeah. Recording this in early January of 2021. That sounds really strange i don't know nobody could <laughs> fail nobody could fail and and throw away all their political real will by chasing 
a weird dream and just watching everything else crash around you. Right. So yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's funny. It's a very funny thing, and and it's not like this movie. I don't know. I know that the director and the writer. I mean, the director, the producer. He's the director, producer, writer of it. They have written something that's a thinker as well as an action film, and it's a little scary to really peel back the letters and say, what is he exactly saying and how true is it? And you, it's really easy to just say, eh, it's just an action movie. But sometimes you look at it and say, there's a little bit more than just an action movie. And I think that this, this toes the line between the two. It, it allows you to think at the same time as you're just being assaulted by this sound and visuals. Let's talk a little bit more about the sounds and visuals. I mean, you already mentioned the cars, but there is an entire cacophony of people that are just being assaulting your senses as this entire war party goes forward and you have got the most outlandish things in the world what were some of the things that just absolutely stood out of to you as you're watching these people attack the landscape the australian landscape was just beautiful and i loved how they used the terrain uh and the desolation there as part of the storytelling, uh, using the road between the cliffs as, as, as a tactical point in the movie twice uh, was great. The, the open uh, terrain of the desert getting stuck in the sand and, and how that uh, affected you know, the vehicles and on both sides. Uh, that, was, that was really great. And, and again, just the, the color and the saturation, the filtering that they used to convey the nighttime or the oppression of, of the hot day there. I don't know. It just, I, I really just loved the color of the movie and the sound. The song, the, the score that they used in the trailer I loved that. And I was like, where is that in the movie? Where is that in the movie? And it's actually used when they're being pursued by the guy with the double pistols in the middle of the night. And he's just shooting them and, and, and crying fury. I thought that was so awesome. And then, and then they, the shot where he's there with his double pistols and he's all illuminated from behind and everything. Just some of the shots that, that George Miller got were just composed beautifully mm-hmm. and and those kind of shots just sell a movie that's literally trailer material and i love it yeah there there's great moments like where you see furiosa where she's her hopes are dashed she realizes that she's been chasing a a, a sad a sad dream that's not reality oh, and yes. she and she walks that. off into the desert and she drops her arm and the and the desert's just wisping by her and it's just off center enough yes ah uh, yeah, it's 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 that eye for beauty where you start to see the composing of the shot. That's mm, chef's kiss, chef's kiss. The other thing, the other thing I definitely took note of is the the car choreography, the way you can orchestrate a wreck mm-hmm. or, or the death of somebody as they're falling off a vehicle. Um, the the insight into how cause and effect happens and then the explosions or or this whips over here and it does this to this car and that car has to swerve over or this guy gets his head cut you know shot here so it's going to have this cause and effect it just the the orchestration of these shots and these scenes is amazing again there were some jaw dropping moments <laughs> uh, that I, I just loved 
and you've got all these moving pieces and all these characters in play, but you're making it work. There was the one time where, where Max was dangling from the rig about to fall. Furiosa lost her grip and Nuck was underneath the engine and he just kicked him and he flipped up and he grabbed onto the car next to him and had enough pull to, to get up on top and take over the vehicle and everything. But just again, amazing, (laughs) amazing orchestration. It's like a symphonic composer. Yeah. It's, it's very incredible or it's really incredible. Just the entire cinematography and, and the action movements and the people it is always impressive to see that when it works so well. And I mean, the guy's had like four, four movies now to get it right. So, you know, he's done a pretty good job of it. Let me ask you the other side of the coin, though. Is there anything in this movie that you didn't like that, that drug the movie down for you? Do you have any negative moments that you can think of? As, as much as I watch movies, you know, holes in a world can sometimes detract from me. Like, okay, so you've got these motorcyclists in charge of the canyon, or you've got the many mothers out ostracized in the middle of the desert. But hey, they've all got operating motorcycles. Do they have some unknown fuel supply? Do they have unknown mechanics parts? What how how are they actually able to endure day to day? Where's their food come from? Where's what you know that kind of those kind of things, those were questions and I, I they never actually got answered. Mm-hmm. So that's still some curiosities I have on, on about, again, the world that George Miller built. And then other things that I, there was anything that I didn't enjoy. One thing that I was surprised by was the apathy shown at the loss of the, of the baby of, of Joe's son. You know, they said, Oh, I don't think I can hear anything. Cut out the baby. And, yeah, <laughs> you almost had it. It's like, wow, yo, for just the apathy surprised me. But again, it, it's a much harsher world than I'm used to. So, yeah, I mean, you're dealing with with people that they understand that life is cheap, probably for some of them as well. Oh, great. Joe's got another child. That means that it's going to be that much harder for us to have anything nice or for us to get our own water or, you know, that's one more person who's above me. So you know, one less person in the world's great. One less person who's going to be above me, that's even better. There's a limited resources on things that they can have. So I get it. I completely get it. It's a little shocking to see it from our point of view, but it's like, well, these guys have a different morality compass if they have a morality compass at all. And as for mm-hmm. as for the world building of, you know, how do these other groups eat? Where do they get their fuel? Where do they get their food? There's a lot of questions that we don't know. I mean, here's a little patch of land that they've got. They're holding it for some mm. reason. Maybe it borders on where they have their oil supply or where they have their food supply. There's other things out there, and it's that it's that random encounter with other races. You don't know where these people come from, where these races you know, live or how they live. You just know you've run into them, and you have to deal with them. It's very isolated. I mean, we could waste time on talking about these other people, but pff, nah, we want explosions. <laughs> yeah. If, if I could go back for a second, you were, you were asking earlier about some of the stuff that just blew me away. The fact that Joe would set up a vehicle specifically for the guitars and the drums, <laughs> that guy, and he's going 24 seven, I assume if they're on the road, he's there with his fire breathing guitar and 
and they're sitting there having a conversation, you know, while they're stopped, but he's still playing. I was like, but he's Dude, playing- if I'm having a conversation. I don't need an electric guitar going off my ear. <laughs> but he's playing, but he's playing quieter. I mean, it's like, you know, we're, we're, we're he, he's just strumming. He's just strumming. We, this is the waiting chord. This is the waiting chord. You know, yep. no, I, I love that guy too. And, it's reminiscent of the old school battles. Think of like the Scottish battles where they've got the bagpipes playing or the, the revolutionary war. You've got the people on fife and fiddle and drums and they're marching the beat that everybody's marching to in a battle. It's like, that's what it's calling back to. I mean, this is what we did back then. This is what we're doing now. Different times, different strokes. We are playing drum. And behind that guy, you got the big guys on the drums and they're going the entire time. And it's just, it's (laughs) rocking it. And it's, and they're providing the soundtrack to the massacre that's coming. God, I love it. I mean, it's just mm, in your face. I'm sure sure it's rousing. uh, If you could hear it over the car engines. (laughs) That's why they got to play it loud. They got to hear it over the car engines, man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I i mean we, we are kind of cu- we are kind of wrapping things up there's there anything else that you want to talk about is there any other points you want to hit before we get to rating this film honestly i think i've covered all the really high points but again it's just it's a beautiful film and actually here's uh, a personal perspective when mm-hmm. i was watching it my son came in and my son's pretty sensitive to violence, profanity, uh, <laughs> people getting hurt and that kind of stuff. So he came in and he said, is this is this a violent movie? I'm like, there's some, but it's not too graphic. Is there bad words? Not really. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's some one on one violence. There's car wrecks and, and crazy stuff like that. But outside of those things, it's a really family-friendly film in that respect. So depending on your sensitivities, I, 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 this is something I would love to show him that I think he would enjoy as long as he was able to get past a few car wrecks. But, but you know, a lot of days, these rated R movies, there's, there's, there's cussing and there's sex and there's gratuitous nudity, all this stuff. This, I thought, was just, again, it was violent without being too much. It was spectacle without being too much. Um, and, and maybe that's part of just how George Miller likes to film or, or, or the world has moved on beyond unnecessary profanity in this post-apocalyptic world. I don't know. But again, I just really, you know, a sensitive 16 year two year old could, could still enjoy it. Actually, he did not stay. He saw some of the car wrecks. He's like, uh, oh, it's too much. I don't know, but I'm sure he could, he could have really got that. But I actually, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I don't know if I would completely go on with the idea of saying that it's a family friendly film. I think it's that it's, <laughs> no, that's, that's too much. I think it's fine for uh, kids probably over 14 15 maybe a 13 year old if they're a little bit yeah if they're a little bit more mature i mean it it is very violent it is very graphic as far as the intensity i think that's a piece too is that it is intense whether or not it gets graphic whether or not the violence is is too much your the movie is designed to get your heart pounding and heart pumping and for some kids that's too much so it's something to be aware of I will say that the the graphicness of it, I think there's probably about five or six scenes that get a little bit, ooh, mm, that's a little queasy kind of feeling. You know, the, the baby scene like we talked about, the one lady getting run over, uh, when when Joe's face is ripped off. and ooh. Uh, right. There's a few moments like that where, where it's up close and personal, which are could be a little little dicey. So I don't know if I would necessarily be, say, family friendly. Even so, when it came to the filmmaking, when, when Furiosa 
does tear off his mask. It's way on the edge of the scene and they immediately cut away. It's mm-hmm. only when you see his lifeless body, do you actually see the damage done? Yeah. True. I mean, true. It, again, I, I just appreciated the subtlety with how some of that violence was, was shown. On the other side of it too, I'm always a bigger fan of it, it's scarier to me when I don't see it or when I'm left it up to most of my imagination. So by doing a quick shot like that, where you just see just a little bit, your mind puts together the rest of that scene. And I think it's so much more effective. I can, I tend to watch some, I can watch some slasher films where it's like, wow, you just showed me everything that happened. That was gruesome, but my mind could probably come up with things that are worse than what you showed me. And if you just hinted at something horrific happening, I will fill in the blanks and it will be what makes you scared. This makes me scared. Wow. That's what Mm -hmm. just happened. Okay, now I'm scared. So less is more is always better. Less is more is always better. All right, let's get on to rating this film on the Logbox Crusade Network. We rank films in whole numbers. So how many full bags of popcorn would you give this film? One to five, one being terrible, five being fantastic, three being middle of the road. What side of the road are you driving on? (laughs) Which side of that Fury Road? I, gosh... I'd say that it's either a strong four or, or, or I'd even go so far as to say a five. I didn't have enough complaints or issues with the story or characters to, to really knock it. So, and again, as part of a world that's been established, I, I, I'd say he definitely took it in, in some interesting directions uh, from what we've seen before. So I, I'm going to go with five. All right. That was a long way of saying the word number five. <laughs> I I will go I will go with you on the five. I I mean I can see a lot of people take saying that this is a four, but for me it's close to perfect. You are going into this, and I want an action film. I want something that's going to keep my heart racing for ninety plus minutes, and this does it. There's like one or two moments where it gives you time to breathe, where you can just like. <gasps> And then you're right back in the action again. And that is an action movie. And it delivers on so many promises that it that it makes. And I can't fault it for anything that's that's not there. I, I would say that this is as close to a perfect action movie as you can get with which with the the scenery, the characters, the environment, everything about it. So it's definitely up there with Gladiator, Terminator 2. Those are those are those high bar films. And I think it's it's right on par with those. Yeah. All right. Well, as we get out of here, then let me just remind everybody that you can find me on Twitter. You, you can't really find Rob on Twitter. He doesn't go on Twitter. He doesn't really show up on a lot of places. But you can find me on Twitter at mmuckabout. That's two M's and an uckabout. Or you can find me on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I co-host with my own personal war boy, Biggest Beardest Boinkus, or as I like to call him, Jeff. If you would like to be on this show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com. Thank you to the Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use this attic of their headquarters to broadcast my show. Sorry about the grease and petroleum strains, but, you know, we had a lot of cars come through here. It happens. Also want to thank the sponsor, Omaha Bound. They still on their one-year hiatus from binding, but, you know, if you have some car and driver magazines that you want to bind together and to have one big, awesome 
hardbound graphic novel together, they can do it for you. So check them out on their website, Omaha Unbound. Also, I'd like to thank the members of the Longbox Crusade. The Longbox Crusade members help support this network, and if you would like to help support it, head on over to Patreon and search for Longbox Crusade. That's all the time we have for today. Grab the popcorn, pull up a seat. We'll be back next week for our next episode. Music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-99.